Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1, O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Welcome to Missouri Woods and Water Podcast with your host, Nate, Andy, and Micah. Howdy, friends. <laughs> Hi, friend. Hi, friend. So, Andy, I hear you suck at night hunting. <laughs> Man, dude, Not even like a he second. Didn't, he didn't even didn't like even lube. Wait. He we didn't even lube it up at all. He just no. shoved it right. <laughs> now you're going to like just ease into it. No, no. Well, I'm... I don't suck at night hunting. I suck at night shooting. Okay, okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, let's just be honest. It's, it's the shooting part of it. Yeah, I heard y'all. I unfortunately didn't get to go. I I don't know why. I should have just went because I was up till like 3 o'clock in the morning anyways because oh, I just could not sleep. But it sounds like I missed on missed out on quite a bit of excitement going on. We had some action. It was fun. We killed three. Yeah. Killed three. Good looking dogs too. Well, those two, uh, those two, two dogs sure. are like gorgeous. You had a really light colored female mm-hmm. and a really dark male. And that picture that we that Doesn't do our buddy justice. posted, uh, buddy called her, or buddy my called buddy her. called her. Yeah, yeah. buddy called her. Uh, doesn't do it justice because at night, dude, that thing was a lot darker. Obviously, it was nighttime. It was. And but, I have another picture. I need to like send to him or get it posted. But like of its legs. Yeah, the penciling. The penciling in its yeah. legs, like it, it, the huge black patches, that's pretty cool. That was a gorgeous dog. Yeah. In my it defense, was. that was the first, second time, well, technically. First time on that gun. First though. time on that gun. What gun do you have it on now? Uh, It's a self-built AR-15-223, 18-inch okay. barrel. I, I don't know. I've had it for probably six, seven years. I built it all myself, you know, bought the lower and all the kits and put it all together so i'm no gunsmith like but, but was it shooting accurately before so you i sighted that? in and people probably make fun of me but it's not, i mean i did at the time i had 80 yards is all i could do that day um i used the hot hands to, you know to, to hey in. i'm just gonna say it that's a genius idea yeah that's pretty smart i was i was five out of six like on the hot hands like i was you know fairly close group so i don't know what that is but at 80 yards which is probably pretty damn close what that little thing is that little thing I'd say it's about eight inches. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the eight-inch hot hands. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't the foot warmer. It was the hot <laughs> hand. But, no, I mean, so I figured, like, oh, that's good enough to kill a coyote, you know, because didn't have all day to sight it in. So, right. so I guess that's going to work just fine. Uh, Yeah, it didn't. Didn't work. Or I didn't. I don't know. That's so. how I don't even want to say. <laughs> it was fun. It, it was a fun night, you know. You got to learn somewhere. I mean, I missed – the only person that didn't miss last night was Calder. 
Yeah, caller's the only one. <laughs> oh, I think I got some video of him missing, actually. I thought well, I saw a video. But it was a running dog. That was after he'd already killed one and had to go oh. and help us. He was oh, yeah, he, was, yeah, he yeah. killed one, turned he'd around. He'd already killed one, and then okay. he turned and, around and And was trying him. to help Nate and I pick up yeah. the ones we just screwed up. <laughs> yeah, there was a reason why was, he man. missed. I mean, he was shooting at running dogs at that point. So, technically, yes. but I was mad. By like, that point, they were 280 yards away. I bet. Well, I mean, it's it's new. So yeah, you just gotta get more time behind it. So that, I think it'd be fine. I'm gonna see if like something changed, or you know, it, I, I'm gonna be baffled honestly if I get out there and like shoot it and it's still right there. Like mm-hmm. then it just means it's me. Like right. I was just a sloppy shot. That's even gonna make me more angry. Yeah. yeah. I uh, something last night made me do something today. So last night Calder was. Gracious enough to let me borrow. Um, actually, I think it's Cody's. Our buddy Cody, gun. Oh, we got a buddy maybe. Cody now. Yeah, my buddy Cody. <laughs> buddy Cody. I think it's his gun. I'm not sure whose it is, but it was the, anyway. Two forty three. Yeah. We, we let me borrow his stuff, and uh, you know, I I made a couple of misses too, and I was aggravated because I didn't feel like I was supposed to miss. Well, yeah. the first one I didn't feel good about it, but Ta- the I, one I, you and I double tapped. So first of all, we're supposed to one, two, three, bang. Uh-huh. Oh, did he go on two? Please tell me he went on two. No. <laughs> Didn't take a safety off. <laughs> oh, that's on the first one. Yeah. I I pulled the trigger and I'm like, oops. And that's when World War Three went off. But uh, <laughs> don't worry about that. <laughs> the the one that you and I ended up double trying to double tap, that one felt great. And I, I straight up missed him. And I'm like The one that what? me and you both like shot at. Yeah. I was rock steady on it. Calder is shooting a dog that's walking still, and we yeah. miss one that's sitting still at 120 So yards. what that did to me last night was, because that was a gun I've never seen before in my life, right. before last night, and I'd never fired it. So I'm like, eh, it's just aggravating that what did I do wrong? Because mm-hmm. it was it was on. <laughs> um, so um, today I spent money. Your wife's going to kill you. Yeah. Well, Mike already told her, so Ooh, Mike no ratted way. me. I did not. Ratted me out. I did not. I And I don't think she caught on. She might have. No, she knows. Yeah. But I don't know. I bought Sorry. a thermal. I bought yeah. a thermal. I did. bought a thermal halfway through the season. <laughs> yeah. Solid. Yeah. Hopefully, it'll be here in two days. Yeah. And uh, I hope to at least get Where'd done you with get? it. I got a IRA um, Rico MK1. Nice. It's the 384. Yeah, version. So it's the same. Three D four is one pulsar. They have pulsar pulsar trail too. Yeah. So yeah, the the six forty version was several grand more, and you can definitely tell a difference though. I look using Calder stuff, which is six forty. Yeah, yeah. And what I'm I'm excited about this Rico because uh, it's um every like all the YouTube reviews and even talking to well, um our guest tonight who we'll get into at some point, um, and uh, James O'Neill from O'Neill Ops. That one seems to be the one that everybody talks about. People think it's a 640. Really? And then they're like, oh, it's a, it's a 384. So I'm, I'm hoping it is really, really clear, and uh, like they say it is. And, you know, I, I think I like it. I was excited. I got it um, from our, our new friend, James O'Neill with O'Neill Ops. Absolutely. You should give him a call, by the way. He – is a dealer for thermals. Not that he sponsors us or anything, but I'm looking at a uh, what is it called Mon- monocular, monocular, monocular. Yeah, I pl- I I've learned that scanning with the gun 
my back honestly hurts because being taller, my tripod's yeah. just a little too yeah, short. Yeah. So I was bent over for majority of the evening, and yeah. yeah. I plan on getting one next year. I'm gonna. Wait. I ain't gonna Ooh. pull the trigger this year, but next year I plan on getting one. Well, I, fuck, I freaking feel left out. Everybody goes out. <laughs> and I always got to borrow somebody's crap. That's what I hate is borrowing. Well, like uh, we borrowed Not Russell's crap. I'm just saying borrow somebody's week. stuff. And broke his damn gun. What? Well, his gun fell apart. What? Yeah. I missed that. Something happened. We don't know. I missed that part. Uh, so I got home. It was with, fixable. With Like any of our listeners care about this. But I got home and his gun stock was like loose. on the Like I picked the gun up kind of like it was laying on his side and I picked it up on the butt and then on the handguard just picked it up to take it out of a case. And the, the butt stock just rotated. I'm like, what in the hell? So I, I examined it, and it was that uh, oh, castle that, nut. That castle nut that the tube goes into the lower. Mm-hmm. So I lined it all back up and tightened it. Well, I didn't realize that there was a spring mm-hmm. that so was gone. Spring's gone. Uh. Oh, the spring. The, uh, what's it called? The it spring. holds that pin. <laughs> well, it holds a pin in there. Yeah. Um. So Russell's walking like out of his house, holding the gun, and literally the gun splits in half. Yeah. And then he calls me. He's like, did something happen? I'm like, well, yeah, but I, I thought it was just a small little deal. That's what I hate when you borrow someone else's stuff. You know, you feel bad when you mess it up because yeah. it's not like you're meaning to do it. And then it happens and you're, it always shit. happens to you. You know, <laughs> it never happens to them when they have Cause that it. holds, I think like, is it a D, called a detent deal that holds your uh, pin uh, to keep like the whole breach of everything closed yes, from that, your upper and your lower. That's what it did. And yeah. that pin just slid out <laughs> while he was carrying it. And so I'm like, shit, sorry, dude. I'll, I'll yeah. buy you a new one. I mean, I don't know how it happened. Like I, we are taking care of it, but you know, it is what it is. So I'm excited because now I'm going to have a thermal on my gun. There you go. I'm going to know how it shoots. I'm going to, you know, I'm, I don't want to have th- that pissed me off. Yeah. Missing one at 120. That felt good. That made me mad. Yep. You know, the other one, he was a, a long ways away. It was windy. Things happen. You know. <laughs> we were just sending her, bud. Send yeah. it. But uh, anyways. But besides talking about thermals, tonight. Another option. We're going to talk about lights. Yeah, we're going to talk about lights. And he's got me really intrigued with the dual purpose, like dual using both. Together. And, and, and we get into that a little bit. Um but tonight we have on here uh, Chris with the night crew. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen them before, you really ought to check their stuff out. Um, the night crew is on YouTube and the Sportsman's channel. Um, but their stuff is legit. It's awesome. Gorgeous stuff. <clears throat> they actually use white lights to film these animals that they call. <laughs> and it's it's good stuff. So Chris talks about you know, the positives and I guess negatives of hunting with lights, mm-hmm. especially here in Missouri. This is our second year. It's new. People are just learning how to like, even maybe how to even get into night hunting if it's a, a, a option for them. So this is an option that some people can use because it's, it's certainly cheaper right? than thermals. No, you can go out there and, get a specific light for predator hunting and it'll any cost you anywhere from 150 to you know probably to 500 i don't know i haven't looked at the max but i'm you know it's it's doable yeah 
and so that way you don't have to go out buy a thermal you don't you know have to have a specific gun set up that way you can use whatever gun you got that's already ready uh so you know it just broadens the horizon yeah a little bit so it's pretty so, exciting stuff it's a good show and um he gives a lot of good information for sure partners for today before we get into the show huntworth gear as always awesome partner of ours um <laughs> funny in the <laughs> that was the creepiest <laughs> laugh i've ever freaking heard <laughs> <laughs> march 2nd or whatever it was last night when we hunted we were wearing lightweight pants yeah and light sweatshirts yep I mean, it, was, it, was, it was warm, warm man. It was 62 yeah. degrees, and we were hunting on March, you know, whatever night last night, March 3rd. Yeah. Yeah, la- a w- what, a week ago, I was wearing my cold-weather gear with Huntworth. Yeah. And last night, I was wearing early-season stuff. Yeah. But uh, no matter what, if it's early to late, their stuff works awesome. Yeah, it does. So, I was been super impressed Use with our code. everything. MWW15 for 15% off. They're actually having a 20% sale right now. So oh, nice. use that. Yeah, so use that instead. But check them out. Alps Outdoors, awesome partner of ours. Um, got some stuff coming that uh, I ordered. Uh, broke broke my chair, my tri my tri leg chair or whatever from them, mm-hmm. which is one of my da- cheap product. I don't mean cheap as in quality, right? Like a, a cheaper product. One of my favorite damn things that they make. Yeah, love that thing. Tri leg stool, I think is it called. But uh, it's, it's awesome and. They really freaking came through for our listeners. Oh, dude, they, you guys are going to like this. Just just got this from uh, our contact there. Use the code WOODSWATER, spell it out, WOODSWATER. All caps. Oh, it doesn't have to be all caps. That's just what no. I wrote down. No, that's how he sent it, too. That's how it was in the email. So that's the way Fine. I would do it. WOODSWATER, all, all caps, caps. to water. save 30%. That's huge. On your order through Alps Outdoors. Yeah, 30%. 30%. 30%, yeah, that's man. huge. Yeah, that's awesome that they That'll did that work. for our I'm listeners. I'm hoping that's not a typo. <laughs> <laughs> three, we meant 3%. We meant 3%. 3%, <laughs> damn it. And, nope, uh, nope, you said. <laughs> yeah, and Alps is um going to participate. Well, Huntworth 2, do we want to bring we that wanna up? Do we want to announce that now, or do we want to announce it later? We'll just say we got our 100th episode coming up. You probably want to stay tuned. Trying to do big That's things. That's right. Our yeah. 100th episode's coming up. Stay tuned because yeah. there's going to be some cool stuff coming out. Absolutely. Habitat Works. Uh, the dude, Dustin, is a smart guy. Yeah. I mean, that's all there is to it. He's Habitat is his thing, and he's good at it. Uh, he's been busy lately. Mm-hmm. Um, every every day on Instagram, he's out somewhere working. Yep. And uh, he kind of sw- he kind of switched things up a little bit on on his offer, which I think is going to be awesome for our listeners. Okay. Um, mention him when you call. Uh, you call him at eight one six seven five. Mention us. Mention us. Sorry. Call him at eight one six seven five two seventy three ninety. Email him habitatworksllc at gmail dot com. If you mention that you heard of him from Missouri Woods and Water, you get fifteen percent off any of his services. Perfect. Anything he does. That's awesome. And uh, he does things like timber stand improvement, forestry mulching, fire, um, you know, mapping, planning, just pretty much all of the things. He he can get you set up. He can write you the plan to be successful as far as the habitat management side of things. I actually need to get a hold of him again. I need to have him out this month. Uh, My plan is to start 
I mean, we're in, we're in prime time to be doing habitat management. So <laughs> yeah. I know my hope, I'm hoping to get my plots in within the next few weeks. Need to do it sooner, but you know, life happens. Yep. Uh, so so get a hold of him. And new partner tonight, or not tonight? New partner for, of ours, and we are excited. Um, Super excited. We are excited to work with. This is where you come in and say the name. Zamberland. Zamberland boots. Um, if nobody knows about Zamberland, they uh, they are a high quality boot. I will tell. I will say this, Micah. What is one thing my dad has always said? Buy once, cry once. That's he said that too. Um, get what you pay for. Isn't that, isn't that a saying of his? Yeah, get what you, you pay, for. pay for. Or the famous, uh, you can fuck up a wet dream. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think that's applicable here. Oh, okay. Uh, in most things, that's decently true, right? Yeah. But there are some things I've argued with my dad about that, no, it. I can spend nothing, and it's the same damn thing as you spending a million dollars. In footwear, I truly believe you get you, you do get, get what you, what pay, you for. pay for in yeah. boots. Yeah. And Zamberland is a premier boot. Um and there's just nothing else to it. They're premier premier uh hunting boot, um hunting hiking, yep. you you call it or yeah, you name they got it. Some, they got shoes too. So anything. We're excited to get in get in them, try them out. I've heard great things about them. I mean, yeah. all their reviews are awesome. Uh Yeah, they're and I mean they've been in business for forever long time uh, obviously italian boots italian yeah. boots are kind of like they italy boots they know what they're doing yep. yeah yeah italian boots um they they know what they're doing uh, all of zamberland boots can be resold so you go spend you know the money on a pair of boots and you wear it down the soles just get them resold you don't have to yeah. you right. go buy a new pair that's that's cool so we're excited to start working with them and um you know bring you uh, some some cool stuff absolutely do we got any more crap we have to go through? No, let's just. Did we already go through our horrible night last night? Yeah, and, we did that. Uh, yeah, we did that. We did all that. Okay. I think we need to get to it. We got through Micah ratting me out to my wife. Yep. Five seconds after I bought the the thermal. Okay. That's that's really a dick move, by the way. I didn't, dude. I just saw the email. I'm like, oh, you oh, got it. You ordered it. <laughs> ordered what? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> all right. Let's uh, get into our show with Chris of the Night Crew. Okay. This is... This is Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. All right. Okay. With us tonight, uh, we're excited about this one. We've got Chris Robinson with The Night Crew. What's going on, Chris? What's up, fellas? How are y'all? Good. I'm a little tired. I'm really tired too, and I didn't even get to do what you guys did last night. So yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I couldn't hook up with you guys a little sooner, but I've had a busy day myself. So that's what. Oh. Yeah, that's what you said. Yeah, no, you're fine. Usually, the later the later the better for us, just because he's got you know 14 kids and each of them play a different sport, and you know we we all got kids and things going on. So usually, the later the podcast it works out better right. hey chris doesn't know us well enough to know that you're not joking he's got four i don't have 14 kids and they play he's... 14 sports maybe that was it <laughs> yeah that's what it is uh but before there's we... only there's only one of me i only have I, I can't imagine that little me running around somewhere so i've kind of 
just kept it kept it just by myself and my and i've wife, got so. four little me's running around and uh each one i thought i'd try to get it right with the next one and i just never can perfect it you know so <laughs> i quit trying but uh yeah. okay before we get into tonight's uh meat and potatoes uh how about you introduce introduce yourself uh tell us who you are where you're from and why don't you give the listener a quick uh snippet about what the night crew is uh, uh i guess let me see if i can explain it in a nutshell uh, and not get too winded with it um and hey there ain't no time limit so you yeah you explain whatever. away <laughs> essentially we're basically we're a texas-based group of guys that you know we all have have there's let me let me start over let me say it like this there we all have a passion for night hunting and it's something that we live live for and to to us it's all about being able to go out and enjoy you know the sport we love and be able to try to bring that sport into everybody's living room to where we've looked at it like if if we could take what we do and the experiences we have and show it to people in such a way where they could enjoy it maybe half as much as we did actually being there then then we feel like that we've accomplished what we set out to do yeah if that makes any sense. And it's all through a camera, you know, and, and James is one of those types of guys, you guys just done, did a podcast with him and he's, he's got the same mindset, you know, it doesn't matter how many coyotes he kills. It doesn't matter how far they are out or anything like that is, is making sure that the people that are watching it, enjoy it, you know, and get to, to see how much fun it is through, through the TV screen. Yeah. You know, cause it's, I mean, to me, it's the best sport out there. You know, you can. Uh, you guys are newbies, and y'all, but y'all, y'all will figure out real quick. Night hunting is—it's a blast. It's addicting. Oh, we're already. Yeah, we're getting. It's it's getting thick. You yeah. know, <laughs> it's awesome. We we really are starting to enjoy it. Yep. But I, mean, I just we're I, just I literally our... just dropped money on a, a thermal yeah. with uh, with James actually right before we called you. So, I mean, yeah. uh, it's it's becoming an issue. That's for sure. But. And what I love about, you know, your show and, and James's show, obviously, is you feel like you're on the hunt with you guys. Right. You know, I feel like I'm there. Watch, you know, I'm standing in the bed of the truck with you or in the field with you or whatever. And, you know, like that that one, I just watched one. I don't remember how old it is at this point, but you guys pulled in and, and you really weren't happy with how tall the grass was. So right. you just, you hooked, you set up in the truck. Uh-huh. Killed uh, two, I think. You were over in the field talking about it, heard them start going crazy again, dropped the dogs right there and went after the next ones, you know, and I, I could, I could yeah. feel that, you know, I'm like, yeah, that, that's cool. Um, but, you know, what we're going to kind of talk about tonight, the listeners, you know, your show, you do a lot with lights and uh-huh. your show is really different, honestly, than any that I watch because you use lights in your hunt and, and also to help give you really good footage. Yeah, I mean, you got you. I would, I'd probably, I'd put it up there with probably, you know, some of the top nighttime footage out there, as far as you know, using the lights and stuff that. like that. I mean, it's it is high quality stuff. I don't know what is it is that considered four K the type of camera or? Well, up until about the last two months, it's it's actually been still in ten eighty. Has it? We've just gotten our, we've gotten our our we've kind of we've evolved our lighting. To the point to where that no matter how good a camera you got it, even if it is a 4k or even higher you know budget camera you 
you can't get the best quality footage unless you have have everything lit like it's supposed to be yeah you know and, and for we've had the same camera honestly from since about 2010 2011 it's been a just a hd canon camera but we've got really good lights you know and that's a lot of a lot of guys are like man that must be like a thirty thousand dollar rig that they're shooting all that stuff in well no not really it's just we've figured out how to light everything like it needs to right. be you know yeah well i mean it's high quality stuff i mean i i enjoy watching it just from a is it cinematography is that the word yeah standpoint I'll, I'll take you know it. i mean everything's super clear i was watching one uh earlier today and i remember i think you killed a double already and you had a triple coming in and you're like nope wait wait he's not in focus not in focus not yet and you see so y'all waited till the coyote became in focus and that's when you made the kill shot so i mean right. i appreciate that from a viewer standpoint that you know you're good putting really good quality product out there yeah yeah and that. and we'll kind of we'll start at the beginning honestly with you and how you started night hunting you know and how it evolved to where it is now but before right. we do that i do want to give him a hard time chris i'd like you to meet andy he's here now showing up late, man? <laughs> we told him you were going to be a little late but we still oh. wanted to mess with you yeah sorry about that they were talking major shit about you before you came in the door just letting you know. yeah we just <laughs> we did talk major shit when i'm in the door so it don't matter <laughs> we just didn't record it yeah <laughs> um so have you i i know you've been coyote hunting since you were a kid i mean i heard you tell the huh? story on your podcast with the o'neill ops about um you went you were they were doing some calling thing at the church and right. you you eavesdropped through the window and and it was part of your problem beginning there and um have you have you night hunted from the the get or when did you start actually night hunting uh, yeah to i guess to start at the very beginning that that whole deal that we basically when i was i was seven years old we had a uh a, there was a get together at our church and they had in the back, they have this building that they do all their functions and parties and events and stuff like that. And I was, I was running around the building when I was, when I was there, there was a, all the grownups and stuff were inside the building and I, and I'm just out there goofing off playing or doing something. And all of a sudden I heard this, this, this rabbits, you know, it, it was a hand call is what it was. And uh, I'm like, what the heck is that? So I stuck my head in the door and I, and it was like, I was, I mean, I, it changed my life. I was captivated and I, I'll never forget. That's my very first introduction to ever hearing a predator call. And from there, my dad actually got to be pretty good friends with Murray Burnham. I don't know if you guys from Missouri know anything about Burnham brothers calls, but Murray, Murray was kind of one of the guys back when predator hunting was really in that infant stage way before my time. I mean, back in the forties and fifties, you know, where they were just basically starting to pioneer taking distress sounds and actually calling in, in predators. And, uh, somehow how, how he did it, I don't know, but he got to be really good friends with Murray. We, we went to Marble Falls and stayed at his house and stunt a, a bunch. And while we were there, uh, he took us out and did some day hunting and some nighttime hunting. Well, whenever we got back, that's when my dad really kind of really started getting into it. And from there, I can remember going out with him when I was a kid, like seven or eight years old and calling in, you know, big cats and killing them with shotguns 10 or 15 feet from us and stuff. Just when I was, I mean, I, I was barely big enough to carry the shotgun in and out of the stands and stuff, you know, but 
it all kind of that's kind of where the 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 passion for the sport really took off and all throughout like through my teens you know in 20s we we hunted a lot of contests and we just went out fun hunting and and we were always in that mode and we finally got to the point with the contest where we were like you know we're out busting our ass we're hunting 24 hours about trying to kill ourselves to go and win 50 bucks i'm like all these animals that we're killing what would happen if we were to try to figure out a way to film this you know and at the time this was back in like 2000 i don't know 2003 2004 time frame at the time there was really only there's a there was a handful of guys out there that were filming night hunting and the stuff that was out there nothing against them it just wasn't what i in, in my mind envisioned i wanted something people to see mm-hmm. to represent what we actually do because everything that was out there was all just the footage was just you know to put it bluntly was not was garbage and uh i got the point where it's like you know if if we can figure out a way to where we can actually show this stuff in detail the amount of of uh attention that would get first off would be amazing and we would be actually legitimately showing people something that they haven't seen yet and that and to me being able to actually see the animals up close and just super high quality detail is something that you just don't it's hard to wrap your head around that because it's just something that you just don't see all the time no. you know and and our when we first really started getting into the filming side of it was we basically decided that we were we were going to go film a dvd and our mindset going into it was is that we were all going to make all this money on this dvd we'll laugh with you yeah yeah that was the furthest thing from the truth but in the in the end what basically happened and i can get into the however far you want to go into the actually the transition of going from one light to another we can get into all of that if you want let's do it yeah but before we go there the the dvd was basically a complete flop you know when it in the end as far as sales and stuff like that but what what we didn't really realize at the time is the fact that that DVD market was basically already on the downhill before we ever even got the DVD finished. Right. And it really was a good video. But the problem was is that that market had gone so far down the, the tube by the time that we got done with it, it was like, okay, we've, we've still got a, a thousand of these things sitting in boxes and we can't even hardly give them away you know so what do we do so we decided that we would go to a local there was a local trade show here it's called texas trophy hunters i don't know if you guys have heard it or seen uh-uh. any of their stuff but they uh they have a big trade show every year in fort worth and we decided to go and, and essentially take that video just to sell what we had you know and we did a big tv built this big uh booth and had all kinds of cool animals and stuff on it and and in a nutshell, we had a, I did like a teaser video that had a bunch of really just up close in your face, just really bright white light footage of cats and coyotes and stuff. And I had it looping on that TV. So when somebody would walk by, uh, they would notice that that footage and they would stay with most all of them would be like, Hey, what's that? Cause they, it's just, it looked different, you know? Right. And, um, in the midst of that show, uh, a guy named Gary Robertson happened to walk by and I don't know if you guys know who Gary Robertson is, but he's right now, he's the current owner of Burnham brothers. 
and it was kind of weird how that all worked out. It just so happened that he was they were they were there representing Burnham Brothers at the same trade show. Well, when all of that happened, they were also in the process of starting uh, their own show on the Pursuit Channel called Carnivore. And I don't know if you've ever I've seen that. that. Yeah, I'm yep. familiar. I've seen a few that. episodes of it. But Gary's kind of, he was kind of getting up there in years. And the, the guy that he was working with was actually the, the marketing director for Mossy Oak, a guy named Dustin Whitaker. And um, they were basically wanting to do a show that had, it was all about predator hunting, but they, they knew that they needed some guys that, that was going to be their, their nighttime guys, the ones that were out. That's what they do. That's their thing. That's what they wanted to do. Well, Gary happened to go by the booth. And as soon as he went by the booth, he, he told me later on, he's like, when I got back to our booth, I was like, well, I found her night guys, <laughs> you know? So long story short, one thing led to another and we spent, they, uh, we basically did, we had fun with that deal. We spent four years on that show and we did all of their nighttime stuff, uh, for them. They would usually at the beginning of the year, we'd go out and we'd get a bunch of kills and, and there we'd send the footage to their producer and he would put it together. And in the end, there would usually end up being about two or three episodes per season on carnivore. That was just strictly night, nighttime stuff. And that was all, that was kind of where we got our introduction into the, into the TV side of things. Um, and at that point, the, the DVD pretty much just got left in the rear view mirror. We, we left a thousand <laughs> DVD cases somewhere in Fort Worth. Hey, if you guys want one, I'd be happy to send you <laughs> Yeah, one. send a handful, man. We'll <laughs> take them. Yeah. I'll dust off the DVD but, player. <laughs> For sure. I know Caden would – hey, I'm just saying, my son would probably be, be real happy if he got a DVD in the mail that had a Chris Robinson signature on it, you know? There you go. That would be pretty <laughs> sweet. Hey, hey, unless you're joking, I'd be more than happy to. So I'm kind of joking, but, uh, I mean, he, he would probably love it. I will say it'd that. Be pretty he, he would love it. Yeah. But uh, – But, no, that, that was kind of the first um, – the first introduction and really how we ended up kind of where we were. And, and really, that was really a, a blessing for us because we were kind of at a point where, you know, it was like, we put all this effort into making something that as good as we could possibly make it. And it was like, it was just bad timing. Had that video been released five years earlier, I think we would have sold the crap out of it. Yeah, but it's just the timing of everything. The internet was getting to the point where it was like you can see anything you want to watch on YouTube or wherever on the internet. Who's going to go and spend twenty dollars to right. go and buy a DVD that they can go and watch half the time for free on the internet? You know. Yeah, when you said so, the year, it made me go, man. That's that's getting kind of close to the end of that that yeah. boom. You know, because I hell, I can remember like my freshman year of college. Don't date yourself not messing with dvds much anymore and that was a couple of years before that time so yeah you right. can see where that just was bad timing almost you know just technology changed at the wrong time for you more than anything yeah well it 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 was just a stepping stone for us to kind of move on to to other things and and one thing led to another we ran with them for four years and we finally got to the point where it was like i i've always been kind of a like a hands-on type of person when it comes to the footage and like, just like James had conveyed to you guys, like he wants to be the guy that's behind the camera because he, in his head, when he's out there shooting stuff, he knows in his mind, he's got a certain look that he's already got in his head that, that that's what he wants. That's what he wants to portray to people. Right. And nothing against, nothing against carnivore or any of the 
guys there, we had a great time with them, but we wanted our own identity and we wanted to, to present night hunting in a, in the way that we wanted to, for people to, to perceive it, you know, and, and we kind of felt like that the only way to do that was to try to figure out a way to, to break away from there and, and do our own thing and have complete control over it from start to finish. And that includes not going and hiring a production company. You know, I've always felt like if I want it done right or the way I see it, even if it sucks, if, if it sucks, it's because of me. Yeah. And if it's good, it's because of me, because I know well, the way that I want it to, to be. And for me to be able to convey that to somebody else, we knew going in that that would mentally in my gut, I knew that that would never be possible to do that. So I was like, I didn't know nothing about editing. I didn't know nothing about different cameras. I didn't know nothing about different video codecs or nothing like that. I had to go and learn all that stuff on my own. And on top of that, figure out a way, okay, well, how am I going to afford all this? You know, yeah. because TV, a lot of guys don't understand outdoor programming. It ain't, they, they don't call me and offer me money for my TV show. I got to pay them for my airtime. And then all the sponsors that I have for that show basically pay me to advertise through that show to pay for that airtime. That's how outdoor programming works. And to be able to afford it, you know, it's, it's not cheap to be on, on any kind of major network like that. I mean, you've got to have sponsors that have a good enough advertising budget to be able to pay the kind of money that you need as a producer to be able to go and actually air those shows and be able to have something left over at the end of it. Yeah. You know, so that's a whole, that's a whole, uh, different, you got to have, there's a lot of balance there that you got to figure out. And, uh, it's just one that's just been over time. We've tried to, we've tried to keep it to where people that want to watch the show when they, when they watch it, we want them to not know what they're going to see from one week to the next. And to, to do that, we've kind of feel like that as long as we can give them a different story each week, you know, we don't want them to see the same cow coming over the same hill, just in a different place from week to week. You know, we want it to have more depth to it than that. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So, and at least for me, one of the first things that I thought when I watched, you know, the first few episodes of your guys' stuff or the first few times I saw your stuff that set you guys apart from the other things that I watch is, and I said this to James when we recorded with him last week about you all, is nobody that I've watched at least does it the way you guys do. And we'll get into lights in a second, but the absolute uh, beauty when you know when those lights hit that dog or bobcat or whatever that's coming in it's nighttime and you're looking at an animal almost more it's almost more gorgeous than you would see it during the day because of the way right. you're doing it you know the colors almost bounce off the animal back to the camera in my opinion you know, some of them just like, man, look at those black markings on that cat right there that you might not have seen in a day or whatever. Uh, that's the thing that jumped yeah. out at me at first. And um, hopefully that's something you're going for. But, but like, yeah, a lot of people don't really understand that, that like whenever we actually have an animal under probably with the lights we're running right now, when a coyote or, or a bobcat or something gets under, say, 60, 70 yards, there's physically more light on that animal for that camera to look at than there is during high noon sunlight because 
sunlight, one thing whenever when you're day hunting and you're filming during the day, that sun's always going to be positioned rarely right in that animal's face. Right. And with the nighttime stuff, with the way that our lights are basically attached to our camera, there's always just, I mean, it, there's so much light there that it bounces so much detail back at the camera. That's, that's the huge advantage that we have to be able to do what we do with, with lights compared to, to day hunting or something like that. Um, but it's definitely brighter than people actually can perceive when you watch it on a TV screen, it's actually brighter than that in person. Oh, I believe bet. it or not. Yeah. That's cool. When you're, when you're if you're actually, if you were standing right next to us, when we had an animal that close, you would be like, holy shit. I cannot believe that that animal came into that because it's extremely bright. It's not just a TV trick. It's not, you know, post-processing, boosting the image, making it brighter. It's none of that. It's actually, we actually overexpose our footage when we're out in the field to where we can bring it down and post to bring out highlights and stuff like that. And that's a whole nother story, but long story short, it's those cameras, even with the best cameras that are out there, still can't capture the kind of light that you actually see in person when when you're there put it mm. that way that's so cool. so um, i guess we'll jump into the lights a little bit when did you guys make the transition to white light because and and you talk about it on your show you know you've used red you use green but obviously for filming white works the best so when did you kind of realize hey yeah you know, because people kind of shied away from the white light. I know that they used to use them way back when, and then they, you know, red became real hot, green became real hot. But you're kind of bringing it back to where white works just as good as any, any other. And we'll talk about that from a strictly filming perspective first. But then I also kind of want to talk about it from just the average Joe Blow that wants to go night hunting. Right. And, their perspective as to. well. Yeah. And, and you need to. What we do is complete overkill for, for the average guy that wants to go out and be successful. Yeah, I see that light behind you, it's dude. Just... That thing is stout. <laughs> yeah, your tripod. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> now, that's – yeah, this is actually the latest version. That's the latest. It kind of looks like E.T. from the side. It but, does, but yeah. It's tiny. Like, com compared to the – I mean, I need a better look at it. But we built all that. I'm pretty much from the bottom up, we completely – machined everything and made everything do what we needed it to do but main thing was is we wanted to make it where it was compact yeah and we can hike in and out of places because there's a lot of places that we can't get the truck into that's another thing that's the next step for missouri is you guys need to talk them into letting y'all hunt from a truck you yeah. let them to do, you, if you talk Good them luck. into doing that yeah, it might be 95 before they let that happen hey yeah. if you talk them into doing that they'll figure out that there's 10 more months in the year eventually <laughs> where you can actually hunt the rest of the year be nice so, yeah we're, we're all but, like uh, excited they gave us two months we're like woohoo we're just but, shooting for a few more months right? yeah. trucks <laughs> but no to answer to go back to your your question um and some of this is going to be stuff that i've already kind of gone through on on james's their podcast but um i'll try to not be redundant and say you know the same things over too many times but um Essentially, the, the, the transition from the red light to the white light was nothing more than a necessity to be able to get good footage. And that all goes back to, that all boils back to the fact that we wanted, originally in my, my, my mind and my heart, what I wanted to show people 
was something that really got had that wow factor. And if it didn't have that wow factor, what's going to separate our footage from everybody else that was out there that I've always felt like was just not good, you know, and we, what we did, we, we spent the first two years. I went out, I paid my own money. And back then, I think the, at the time, the best camera that they had available was for a Canon. I've always kind of been a Canon guy, but they had a, a camera called an XHA one, which it filmed on these little mini DV cassette tapes. And, uh, I thought, you know, I'm just going to go and buy this camera and it's either going to eventually pay for itself or uh, it'll end up being on eBay two years down the road, one or the other. Uh, but I bought the camera and we spent two years, we had animals just, you know, running us over. We'd get them into 20, 30 yards and, and time it was all said and done, they, the footage that we had to show for it was just like, yeah, you know, it was mediocre. And I'm like, we got to figure something Man, out. Man, if that isn't a term I've heard so many better. times in my life. Mediocre. <laughs> Mediocre. <laughs> yeah, it, and it really was. And, and you know, I'm, I'm my own worst, like, critic, you know. And I'm, we've always taken the stance that whenever we go out and we film something, if we ever get back in the truck and, and say, well, that's usable, if we ever do that, then, that, then it never ends up seeing the light of day. You know, and, and when you kind of take that approach to things, then if you constantly strive for getting stuff that's exceptional and pushing the limits and trying to get it as good as you can possibly get it, you know, if you do that enough times at the end of the day, if all your shit is really, really up close and high quality, then that's going to make it stand apart from a video standpoint, in my opinion, that then a lot of guys will cut short. They'll, they'll instead of pushing that extra you know, a few hours a night, just trying to find that right animal, they'll, they'll cut it short and they'll be like, Oh yeah, that'll work. But we've never had that mindset. It's always, we want them to make it better than the last one, you know? And a part of that was getting away from a red light. And, um, basically what happened, the guys that I was hunting with, he, he was like, you know, I don't know if this is going to work. And I said, well, there's only one good way to find out. And what we did, we, Back then, we were running uh, the big light force lights. Y'all probably don't the remember big, that. The big, like, spotlight scanner type light? It was like this big. <laughs> it was giant. You nearly had to have two hands to hold it up. But it was super bright. And uh, we, we got in the back of the truck, and I said, just take that damn filter off of it. Just see what happens. Just shine it just like you always do. Do everything just like you always do, and just see. And... Uh, we were at the time we were running a lot of shotguns and we don't do a whole lot of shotgun anymore, but in a nutshell, we started calling, scanning, scanning about a minute or two in, he picks up eyes and they're coming. And this is one you could tell he was about to come eat the bumper of the truck. You know, he was coming and, uh, he hit him with that light and you know, you got the main part of the light and then you got the big halo underneath it. Uh -huh. And, uh, as soon as he hit him with it, he was like, Oh, he had, he pulled the light up and he, and he, you know, put him in the halo. Well, I'm like, I can't film with that. I need that dense beam of light on that animal or that camera. It's going to look like crap. So I was like, I just reached over there and I grabbed that light. And I was like, no, put it back down on him. Well, I'll be damned. It, it was the coyote at that point was probably about a hundred yards and closing the gap fast. He put the light on the animal just right in the dead center of it. And that cow literally, we ended up killing it at like 20 yards with a 12 gauge. And if we wouldn't have shot it, it would have kept, you know, it would have kept running and tried to run the truck over. But at that point in time, it was like, okay, 
red lights are never getting ever used again. You know, it showed us, it gave us the confidence that it is possible. There are coyotes out there that will take and put up with a light that's not red. You know, and for me, that was gave me the confidence to know that that what we envisioned in our head, what we were striving to achieve, was actually obtainable. Yeah, if that makes any sense. Do you at that point? Do you think so, if you would have went through that night, let's just say you guys tried it that night and nothing worked, you you know maybe uh-huh. you spooked a few of them or whatever, you know, just a bad night. Do you think you would have potentially phoned it going? in? Yeah. Do you think you would have kept trying that or? I got lucky. That's what I was going to say. Do you I feel like up, like that was just a perfect storm to, to start it? I got lucky because I had I had mentally made up my mind that I didn't care if we screwed 10 of them up. I was going to prove to myself that a white light is possible in some form or fashion and figure out how to make it work. Right. You know, there were other guys that were calling them in and filming them, some with a white light. So I knew if those guys did it, they were from Texas. Like there's no reason why we can't figure the same thing out on our own, but to do that, there's a, most guys when they're, when they first get into night hunting, there's so much talk and chatter about, well, you got to have this, you got to have that. It gets up here in their head Mm. and mentally it's hard for them to push past that to say, okay, well, I'm going to prove to myself what's possible. And that's where I had to get in my head. I had to say, okay, well, even if we mess up the first, four or five coyotes or whatever that come in. I want to know for a fact, is it possible to call in a coyote up close with a bright white light? Because that's what I had to have to be able to film it the way that I wanted to film it. And we proved that on the very first, it was literally the very first stand of the night, like probably a minute into the stand and we had the right coyote show up. And not only did it give me confidence, but it gave the other guys confidence we can we can do what we're trying to do at right. that point, you know. And then from there, it was just <clears throat> figuring out exactly how you wanted your light setup to be. I mean, yeah. you went through right. all kinds of different, what do you call it, renditions. Light rigs. Right, right. Yeah, we're yeah. we're probably this one right here is probably I don't know. That's probably the tenth version of it. And what's funny is that light right there puts out twice as much light as the big lights that we had in our truck. Wow. It's, yep. it's super, super bright. But the um, what happened essentially on that deal is we basically, when we figured out that you could get away with the white light, the guy that was hunting with us at the time, he, he was real notorious for when a, when a gun would go off, he would jump like a girl. He would get scared, boom, and, and the light would go off of it. And as soon as that happened, you'd lose the most important part of the whole, you know, the clip. You know, you yeah. want the kill shot. And so I finally got to the point where I was like, screw that. I'm going to fix this shit where I can do it myself. You know, no matter what this guy does with the light, I'm going to fix it to where that camera has always got light looking down the lens of that camera. Yeah. And uh, one thing led to another and it finally, it evolved from having one light to three lights to five lights back to four lights. The lights changed from one to the other. And then finally in the last three or four years, we've gotten it to the point where they're they're all completely mobile we can actually we can put that light in the truck or we can put it on a tripod and walk in and out of places with it and um at the time we didn't realize what i kind of did that out of necessity but we didn't realize how much it would change the way the footage looked compared to having a camera over here and a light over here and they're both two doing two totally different things right that's what gives the footage that 
you look at it and it's like, oh, I'm looking at something during the daytime. It's because the two are in sync. And before that, there was really no footage out there that looked like that. There was, it just totally gave it a totally unique look. Um, and we kind of started building for the last, I guess that was back in 2008. Since then, we've just kind of been evolving it slowly and trying to make it better and tweaking this and that between, you know, That's lights cool. and different types of tripod heads and stuff like that. So nice. this might be a dumb Does that question. Answer your question. Yeah. 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 This might be a dumb question, but is there anything <clears throat> like, obviously, um, you use uh what is it? Wicked. Uh, okay. I'm trying to think. Wicked what, lights. Yeah. Wicked lights. Those are the lights you use. Is you there any, so close. I, I mean, all you so had to do was say so, lights. So close. Is there <laughs> anything other than the fact that I'm sure they're extremely bright, when it comes to white light, is there anything different from the lights you use compared to just a bright ass light that you can pick up at a hardware store as far as white light goes? White, white, as far as I'm concerned, white light is white light, red light's red light. It, there's really not just a whole lot of difference in them other than just the intensity of them. Yeah. Okay. And for us, we've never hidden the fact these lights right here are not wicked lights. Okay. These are lights that we actually had developed. We actually had some guys actually develop and build these specifically for us to film with. And it's not wicked. We mm -hmm. use our, our, all of our wicked stuff as a headlamp. That's what we primarily use to, to scan with. And it's, they're super badass headlamps. I mean, that's, that's like a critical part of our process is having somebody to scan nonstop 360 degrees. And that's, that's where wicked comes into play for night crew. And I, I told the, the owner of wicked, whenever we first got started working with them, I said, look, I said, we've had these lights long before we ever had wicked as a partnership for the show. I said, the, I, what we don't want to do is we don't want to try to portray y'all's lights as the Those. same as the lights that we used to film because this is our baby and and wicked is kind of another part of our toolkit yeah you know cool. so we build our own our own lights for filming the filming side of it and they they're there for all of the the other part of it that we really have to have to be able to do this stuff um but as far as the lights are concerned them, themselves you know I honestly don't think there's a whole lot of difference in, in, in one color to the other. And well, before I get into that whole deal, if you guys got questions, specific questions about colors and this and that for guys starting out, I'll answer all that when you get to, yeah to that point. Honestly, I, I think don't want to answer your question before you we're ready to get to it. However, I do have one question about your filming that I've always wondered watching your stuff. So, you know, uh -huh. you know, when you, sometimes you'll set up a camera that is watching you guys, you know, sometimes right. it's like off, off the on the ground somewhere else and i noticed like when you turn that light on behind you on it's it's always pointing up and then you come down to the animal is right. that just because that's how you do it or do you is there a reason behind that i've just always wondered that reason. i don't know why yeah no and I'll, I'll answer that that's a good question um the reason that we do that is because the this particular light doesn't have a dimmer on it and the thing that we've learned, the, the thing that we've learned a lot with, with animals, especially coyotes, is the fact that, that whenever you're running two lights, which we have to do um, with the way that we film, when you go from, from one light that's relatively dim to an extremely bright UFO landing light that's about to come and abduct you, that there's, you got to have a smooth transition from one to the other. 
And to do that, this light has got, there's a lot of lights that have like a really, really hard center cone. And then it looks like somebody did a cutout and then it goes to a halo. They don't have a whole lot of, of wash, like a smooth fade from the really super bright part to the faded halo part. These have a really, really good wash to where when, when you're looking at the halo and you drop that down on top of an animal, it's not like you go from dark to extremely bright. It's a gradual change. So typically what we've done, especially since we've had these, these rigs is we, when I, whenever we're scanning, Ronnie usually scans, he's like the best light guy ever. He's, he knows the, the game he'll scan. And when he's scanning, he'll run it just bright enough to where he can see eyes out there based on the size field that we're in. So the bigger the opening, the brighter he scans, the smaller the opening, the more dim he scans. Cause all he's trying to pick up is eyes. So as long as it's just bright enough to detect a set of eyeballs, which you don't have to have a whole lot of light to be able to do that, which I'm sure you guys have experienced, that, then that's plenty bright. You're not looking for, for a body. You're not looking to, to light them up enough to kill them. You're just trying to detect them and blind them initially. So typically what he'll do is he'll scan 360 degrees at a pretty good pace. And he typically with the size fields and stuff that we usually hunt around around our area, he usually finds an animal about twice as fast as I would with thermal. Because at the rate that he can scan with his, his light, it takes me three or four times the amount of time to sit there. And even with the 1X optic with a with the scanner, it takes me that much longer to go from point A to B than he can pick up with the light. So as long as his light's bright enough to, to pick him up way out there. He usually finds an animal faster. He'll find seven out of 10 of them before I pick them up with the thermal. Hmm. So every now and then, if we're in a great big giant opening, there'll be something way out there. And I'll say, hey, there's one coming. And I'll kind of put his light on it to where he knows. Even if he can't see it yet, I'll say right there, just leave it there. And well, what happens when, when we pick up an animal, we know we have one coming. Because this light doesn't have a dimmer on it, he'll have his light set to where it's dim. And then when the animal's committed and it's coming, he'll take that light on that, on the, the scan pro has a dimmer on it and he'll crank that light up and put as much possible light as he can on that animal before those big lights ever even come on. So whenever that big light comes on and it's up above him, he's got enough light in his face to where he can't see it. It's just like, okay, it goes from dim to semi-bright to really bright. And in that process, if you we've kind of got it down to where it's like we can do that based on what the animal's doing, and we can kind of detect, okay, well, we need to give them a minute to, before we burn them down. Some of them, we've had some that we, you know, we, we hit with the big light before we ever even hit them with a, a scan pro and have them run over the truck. But some of them, we kind of have to get them kind of eased into it, you know, to get them all the way up close with those big lights. But hmm. um to answer your question, it's more of just a, of not having a dimmer. If I had a dimmer on that light, I would have it right on them and I would just slowly crank it up. But we're essentially doing the same thing, lowering it down on top of them like that. Hmm. I just, I've noticed it. So I'm, I was always curious. Well, let's talk about, that's I mean, what that's for that. That's obviously your transition into white light, you know, from a, like you said, a necessity standpoint for the show. I mean, you know, and obviously proves that you can use white light but for the average person in our state and other places that are thinking about getting into night hunting and want to start 
you know, by getting into light hunting, what are some, uh, right. what would you say? Pointers? You know, like, do you, if you were just going hunting tonight, not filming, like your show got canceled, everything's over. I, I quit, you know, I'm, I'm done right. with this and I'm just going to go right. hunting. What would you say, you know, you would, you would pick up or, or somebody who's just starting would kind of do to, to get into it, to, you know, and, and be successful. I mean, go spend $10 on a red light that isn't going to do anything for you. Probably won't make it very fun for someone, but how can someone get into it and and maybe have some success too? Uh, what I would suggest is, is two different things. And this is something coming from just going through the, the learning curve of it. If you're depending on your budget, if you're not looking to get into thermal, that's a whole different deal altogether. Mm -hmm. If you're wanting to strictly run lights and be successful running lights, the the best possible advice that I can give to somebody is a couple of different things is a hunt with a partner, have a dedicated light guy and a dedicated shooter, because no matter how you cut it, you still got to scan when you're out there. If you want to be successful with lights, you got to have that light on scan in 360 degrees from the time that call comes on to the time that you walk out of the field. And for the guys out there that don't, that haven't grasped that concept yet, go out and try it and you'll figure it out on your own. You got to have that light on as soon as possible that you can possibly pick up an animal, have a guy out there scanning. Okay. What that does by having two people is it basically, it frees up your shooter to not have to have a light on his gun you don't have to do it's like a one-man band out there trying to scan switch from a scanning light you can't hold a scanning light and you got to be really pretty talented to be able to hold a light and be able to to shoot under that light unless it's mounted to your gun because you're not going to be sitting there just like a problem that you have with a, a weapon sight versus a scanner with thermal you got the same problem with the light on your gun you know you're not going to it's not practical to sit out there with the light on your gun that you plan to kill with and wave your gun around scanning with it. So you've got to have somebody doing that part of the process. And if you're running just lights, you'll kill more animals. If you've got one guy doing one of one or either of the two. Um, and that's, we did it a lot. I did it a bunch of night hunting by myself. I did a lot of it with shotguns and stuff like that. And after I really started hunting with somebody else that was, you know, we were on the same page, we started killing a whole lot more animals when we, when we did that. Um, that's the first thing. Second thing is, is, is I would suggest if you're, if you're hunting with just lights, I would, I would look highly into headlamps for scanning versus a handheld. I don't know what you guys have used since y'all have been into night hunting, but the, once you ever get a, a chance to run a headlamp to, to scan for eyes that it, it, uh, first off, it frees all your hands up. But the second thing, the main reason is because you can detect eyes literally twice as far with half the amount of light. And that to me is a big, that's a, a, a big advantage because especially if you're in places where you think they may have been hunted and been pressured and stuff like that, the least amount of light you can get away with when you initially hit that animal, the better your odds are of getting that animal close to be able to get him killed, you know, in a position where you can kill him. Um, you don't so see a lot of guys that they, they watch the footage and they they're they're like, man, I bet y'all spook a bunch of animals with that that big ass light y'all use. And in fact, most of the times when an animal spooks, it's from a headlamp. It's from before those big lights ever even come on. 
And, and typically that's a pretty good sign that a lot of those, those animals have seen and been shot at with some kind of light source. And they, they perceive that as, as danger at the moment you hit them with it, especially around here, this time of year, you can hit certain cows with a light and it's like, hell no. They'll about turn inside out trying to get out of there. Yeah. Those are but the, when those are the, the smart right, dogs. <laughs> those are the ones that, yeah. And that, nothing I said on one of the shows, I said, no matter how you, how you go about it, no matter what sounds you use or what light or what color or how bright, nothing is going to make that coyote unsee the light that made him that way. You know, so it doesn't matter if you go out with a red light, a green light, a purple light. It doesn't matter if you hit that cow with the light. He knows he's getting hit with the light because we've we've spooked him with red lights. We've spooked him with green lights. We've, we've done just about everything as far as a color is concerned and still had animals booger because they know it's a light. Um, for us, the only way to overcome that is to keep hunting until we find the right one that hadn't seen it. Yeah. So, huh, that makes sense. Uh, okay. So, uh, but before, yeah. Do you have a preference on red or green? I know you prefer, you use white because you use it for the filming side, but if you just <laughs> told somebody, Hey, go buy this one, would you tell them a red, green, or white? Or, or does it matter? Pre- or does it matter at all? In, in my in my personal opinion if I had to tell somebody to go out and pick a color light I would I would tell them if they're gonna hunt with the red light I would tell them to go out and put a target out at 100 yards at night and turn their whatever light they plan to use turn it on get their shooter or themselves or whoever under the gun and make them go shoot at 100 yards and see if they can hit with it and if they can, if they're confident with that, if that's what gives them confidence, if mentally, if red is what, that's what makes you feel comfortable and feel like it can give you that confidence to be successful, go and go and do it. The problem that I had personally, before we ever even got into the filming side of it, was I couldn't shoot worth a shit under a red light. I couldn't see what I needed to see to be able to make good shots and to be able to kill them effectively. And what what I feel like a lot of guys will, will do is they'll kind of, they'll cut their shooting and distance in half because mentally they don't think they can do anything else. And ultimately at the end of it, you're there to kill them, you know? And if you can kill them twice as far because you've got enough light to be able to see them good to do it, you know, there's, there's advantages and disadvantages to both. Um, But I would say that, that once you take that, that light you plan to shoot with and you go out and you put it at a hundred yards and then you take it out to 200 yards say okay now shoot that if you can't do it with that red light and you don't feel confident doing that that'll at least tell you how far your distance that you have with whatever light that you plan to use is and if you're happy with that stick with it you know if you're not if you're a guy like me that couldn't see them well enough to be able to be effective killing them and you know, acquiring the target and seeing if they're facing left or right or forward, that that was the biggest problem that I had personally shooting with a red light was the fact that we just couldn't see the damn things to kill them, you know. But that's fixable if you if you're open minded enough to go out there and use something that gives you more killing power. Put it that way. But dimmer, dimmers are a key in that too as well. That's why I would always suggest if you're going to buy a light for night hunting, always buy one with a dimmer, regardless of the color. Because no matter what, you want to be able, when it, when it comes time for that gun to go boom, 
you want that an, as much physical light on that animal that you can possibly put for the guy that's on the gun to be able to kill him. And with the red light, if you're if you're limited, like you're governed to, oh, okay, well, we can only kill them at 75, 100 yards. Well, that forces you to get that every cow you call in to 75 to 100 yards for your shooter to be effective, you know. And hell, our these lights right here, even without thermal, we've killed coyotes out there past 300 yards with them, literally without thermal. Guys that were running daytime scopes that hopped in the truck and shot coyotes out there. That's how bright they are. Wow, you that's know? impressive. So there's there's more options out there than, than, than just red, but ultimately confidence and knowing what that lights limit limitations are combined with the shooter's abilities. Mm -hmm. That's where you need, that's what most guys, all they do is they get on the internet and they say, Oh, you got to have a red light to go kill cows. Well, then they'll go out there and they'll, and, and they'll call in 50 cows and they'll kill three of them. Yeah. And well, well I couldn't see them to kill them, you know? So that, I just feel like that, red, that's red. a great debate, right? Like when we first started, when we, when Missouri passed the night hunting ability with lights, I think, you know, we kind of all started researching that aspect because we thought, well, that's a cheaper way to go. And that was always an argument. Well, do we, do we do red or green? Do we, and white was never even obviously an option, like in all the things we were reading and uh, all that stuff. And then our dumbasses all just jumped into thermals. <laughs> so you know before we even like did it we're like let's just go spend all kinds of money and that's a, that's right. cool but uh uh i just think it's a I it's a, a it of... is a good option for people especially if they just want to see if they even like night hunting i mean a lot of people in our state have never even done it so oh, yeah. legally <laughs> well yeah legally so like yeah. for that guy or girl out there that's like i would like to go night hunting it's right. not feasible for them to go drop three grand on a thermal right? to, to do it when they can go spend, I don't know, two, 300 bucks, a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. A couple hundred bucks. Yeah. yeah. And, and try it out well, and, yeah. and see how they like it. Yeah. We, we did a show this, this year. Um, if you're following it just on YouTube, we, we did one that, that was basically the whole entire storyline or gist of the show was, with the fact that the, the, the cost of thermal is coming down to the point to where a lot of the average guys can go, if they save a little bit of money, they can afford to get into the thermal game. And what that's done is it's the thermal industry has boomed so much that it's kind of taken a lot of the spotlight away from, from guys that are, that are hunting with, with lights. And that's kind of what they do. Well, mentally, for states like Missouri that, that don't know really a whole lot about night hunting, you get on the internet and your Facebook or whatever, and you, you see all these guys killing these coyotes with thermal. Well, well, I got to have thermal if I'm going to go out and kill coyotes. That's not true at all. And this the show that we did, basically the gist of it was that that no matter how popular thermal gets, no matter even if thermal eventually gets cheaper than lights, lights are still a very effective way to be able to go out and kill a pile of animals and not break the bank to, to, to do it. Right. You know, and, and if you, if you skip that step, if you jump straight into thermal and you don't know anything about coyote hunting at night, then there's a whole other world out there that you're missing out on because hunting with lights and hunting with thermal is the same as the, the difference is the same as, daytime versus nighttime 
they're two completely separate animals altogether. It's not the same thing. Right. And uh, the, the process to get from point A, A to B is completely different, but it's still effective as, as it can be. If you do, if you go about it a certain way and you, and you hunt the right way for your area, you can be a very effective killer with just lights for pretty, a pretty insignificant amount of money um, without having to go and spend three or $4,000 on a, on a thermal. Yeah. Now, does that mean that that thermal is not badass? And I wish that, you know, everybody that ever went out coyote hunting at night needs to try it. No, cause it's fun as hell. Hell but yeah, it is. <laughs> lights are lights are, are, a, are a huge option that if a guy doesn't have a whole lot of budget in mind, if he, you know, if he's kind of going week to week, he can still go in and experience it and, and do real well at it with just yeah. lights. You know? Well, <clears throat> well it kind of so. brings it the way I think of it is we've been out a handful of times, you know, with the thermals and stuff. And when you're behind a thermal, it's almost like you're kind of playing a video game. Like when you're watching that dog come in on a screen, it's not as, uh, it's not as an intense for me anyways, rather than actually seeing the the dog itself in a light or in right. during the daytime. Cause I mean, I, sure. I enjoy daytime coyote hunting probably more than I do at night. I still enjoy night hunting, but there's a huge rush in watching that dog come in. You can see it and you can see it working. And whenever you put right. it behind a thermal screen, it almost feels like a video game to me kind of. So, yeah, exactly. That, that's well, a good one way of the things it. that, the, the best way that the best analogy that I can use when it comes to to predator hunting at night with lights and and you got to remember the generation that I came from there was no thermal it was pretty much if you're a, a night hunter in Texas you're a spotlighter that's far none that's what you did you didn't go out and have all this fancy night vision equipment thermal that's that's what the way that's the generation that we cut our teeth on was basically going and, and shining picking up eyes and that's what we did but when i was when i first started out in it the the thing that that really it's i don't know how to describe it the the best analogy that i can give to being the guy on the light and seeing those eyes the first time when you're scanning you're sitting there you're about half tired about half asleep and then boom there's a cat standing there at 50 yards lit up his eyes look like a couple of laser beams coming at you the the excitement that i get from that feeling, the best analogy that I could use from that is like a guy when he goes fishing and you got, and you're fishing with a cork and you sit there and you stare at that cork for 30 minutes and all of a sudden it goes boop and it disappears. You're like, Oh, that excitement that I, that I get from that or people would get from that is the same excitement I get. And I've done it a thousand times. It's just something about seeing those eyes, picking those eyes up at night and blinding those animals to the point where they, I mean, we've had them walk literally right up to us and they have zero clue that you're there because they can't see what's behind that light with thermal. You totally, that goes away. That whole aspect of, of the, the whole process or premise of using lights to blind an animal is, is totally backwards from what you would have when you go to set up to try to hunt them at night with thermal. Matter of fact, thermal to me is more like having to set up like daytime than it is hunting hunting with lights if that makes any sense no you do have to think about you know if it's a bright night you got to think about backdrop you know brushing in a little bit i mean 
we had that happen last night <laughs> where we were kind of skylined mm-hmm. uh, on some stuff. Yeah, and, in, we, and we knew it. Fact, in fact, when when we're when we're shining, we we try to do our best to get away from any obstructions. You know, we'll get in an area to where when we've got something coming, anything that we put next to us, mentally, a lot of guys are like, well, I need to go get up under that tree. I need to go, when they're sitting there holding the light, the coyote can't see you or that tree. They, It's like, I've got to get next to something. That's the mentality that a lot of guys will use at night because they don't understand how lights work and what they're actually doing when those animals get close. Anything that you put between you that potentially could get between you and that animal is a potential problem when you're when you're running lights because you want that light in their face from the time you pick them up to the time you pull the trigger just to keep them blinded and not have anything get between you and them. But thermal, if you're standing out there in the middle of a wide-ass open field on a relatively, even a starlit night, you got to think those animals have good enough vision where they can go down in a creek navigate through the thickest mess that you can think of with zero light at all without killing themselves. So if you don't think that when they pop out in that opening that you're standing out, you and a couple buddies are out there standing in, they can see you plain as day. If you move, especially if you, if you're not stationary, if you're moving around and fidgeting or whatever, they can make you out. And that's the advantage to me that, that a light guy, somebody that's got a light, even if it's a small light, just something enough to, to conceal that what's happening, you know, behind that light, that's, that's a huge advantage, uh, even for thermal guys. Hmm. Um, in fact, we've got guys here that are around the house that they're all, they've got a ton of thermal and they're like, you know what, we watch some of the shows and we see you guys are, y'all have some of the best thermal equipment out there, but y'all are still shining. And they're, they're like, we kind of figured out that, that there's a reason that y'all are doing that. It's like, yeah, we're hunting from a truck in the middle of a field. A, we can pick them up faster most of the times, and B, when we get them coming, they can't see the truck. Just because we're killing them with thermal doesn't mean that that's, you know, you have to use just thermal. That's why we're still shining, even with all the thermal equipment. So that makes a lot of sense. Hopefully that answers. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, and the reason we wanted to talk to you so badly is because it's possible to get into night hunting without, like we just said, spending all kinds, all kinds of money. And yeah, I mean, you just admitted it or you just admitted it, explained it, uh, to the listener is it's, it's not that big of a deal if you wanted to get into it. And obviously once you get into something, then that's when the money starts flowing out of your pockets if you enjoy it. <laughs> but, uh, right. Hey, that, that is what it is. Uh, I, I thought of another question. Oh, uh, okay, so you guys mix thermal and lights, obviously. Uh-huh. Normal person, not worry about filming. Is that a big, a big deal? Everybody that we talk to talks about, you know, you, know, you can't be using lights if you've got thermals going on. I mean. That's not true at all. I know. That's, I, once you just explained Absolutely it, it kind of hit me in the head like, I guess you could use, why couldn't you use lights to conceal what's going on behind the light? Uh let me, let me explain it to you like this, and this is the best way to look at it. If you got, I don't know how big the areas are that you guys actually hunt, okay? The bigger the area, the more, the less important it is the speed you pick them up. The smaller the area, the more important it gets the speed you pick them up. Because if you get one coming in on in fourth gear, and you're over here looking this away, and he covers half that distance from the time he leaves the brush to the time he gets 
out in the open where you could physically see him, if it takes that long for you to pick that animal up, you're taking a lot more risk that he sees you. You're taking a half the amount of time, double the amount of time away that you could possibly be getting in position to get on that animal. That's why to me, having that light going 360, especially in tighter places is like head and shoulders above having both having a light guy and a guy that's sitting there with the gun with thermal with the scanner having those two in smaller or tighter openings is way more effective than just having a guy sitting there with with two scanners looking for for coyotes in both directions i promise you if you get a light guy like like ronnie that knows how to scan and can do it like from the time he goes 360 degrees to the other it's literally two seconds two seconds, two seconds. And the whole time and immediately when that animal pops out, not only has he got control of him because that cow can't see shit, it's giving us, it's affording us the ability to move around. I can, if my gun's facing this way, I can pan all the way up. That cow can't see none of that. It's but like you're thermal, behind a, like you're behind a curtain. You, it's like you totally take the biggest, the biggest advantage that you get with a light is basically taking that animal's sight away. Without that light, you're giving that back to him, okay? Guys, a lot of guys, I think, that are thermal, the big thermal guys, they they look at it, like, one-dimensionally. They think, okay, because I have this thermal, it must only be thermal. But what they're really doing is they're really kind of shooting themselves in the foot because there are advantages that a light can give you that thermal doesn't. And there's advantages that thermal can give you over what lights. If you know when and how to use them, hell, there's there's coyotes around here that if we hit them with a light, we know they're going to turn inside out. So guess what? We slip in there on them, find them, either squeak them up with just thermal, or we just walk in on, on them and bust their ass with just thermal. That's how you can utilize the power of thermal. But when you're in places where you know coyotes haven't been pressured, you know that they'll put up with the light when you hit them with it your odds of being able to kill those animals and pick them up and detect them and get them close to where they're killable are a whole lot better having a light guy there that can shine, pick them up and keep them covered to where you can maneuver and do what you need to do as a shooter to be able to get on them and kill them. Hmm. So don't, don't think for five seconds that just because you have thermal doesn't mean that you, that you can't use lights. And if I'm using thermal to kill and I'm not filming, I wouldn't never get it very bright. I would keep it just dim enough to pick them up based on the size of the opening that it is that lets you pick them up faster and it puts enough light on them just enough to blind them to let you get to maneuver some. And just remember this too, the, the brighter the light is, the more coverage that you get. So when you're standing, if it's two guys and you're out in the middle of a field, if you're standing there and you're running a really, really dim light, you don't want the guy that's, that's next to you 10 or 15 foot to the right or left of you. You need to be standing right next to each other because from his perspective, you think about it from the cow's perspective, when he pops out and your light's pretty dim, you're only covering just around your body and just a little bit to the left and right of you. Mm -hmm. With these big filming lights, we had a guy the other day, he was like, I'm gonna walk out there and just see how far outside that light I can see, like how far do I have to get out away from that light to be able to see you? And he literally went like, like 30 yards, 40 yards, one way outside that light before he could physically see part of my body standing there behind that camera. 
but if that light were like real, real dim, it would only have to go just a few feet to be able to see movement and stuff like that. So just remember when, if you are planning on shining and you want to use that plus thermal, just remember to try to stay close together to one another to where when something does show up, when something does show up, you've got enough coverage where you can get away with movement and stuff to get on. So that's, that's what I have to say about that. That's a pretty, I mean, I just, you, you always hear that argument. Nope. Nope. Can't do them together. I mean, that's just, I mean, it's not now there's, there's some areas in the country. I would never in a million years even think about turning a light on. It just depends on the area and it depends on the what's happening in the area that, that you, that you hunt. And for us, we've hunted this area so long, we kind of have a general idea of how many guys are, are doing it. We know when we need to hunt certain areas a certain way and so forth. But in general terms, as long as you're not dealing with educated coyotes in smaller areas, then a light guy is a huge advantage. I wouldn't, honestly, I wouldn't want to go without it. Hmm. Um, we've had times where we just, for some reason, like a battery dies in the light or something like that. And I literally see even sitting there with thermals, I, I feel naked not having somebody scanning because it feels like you're, you're, you feel like you're vulnerable sitting there, you know, in the middle of a field. Cause you know, they can see you. Right. You know, that makes sense. Oh, so, okay. I'm going to switch uh, gears here, but we like to add, we asked this to James just because we're so curious. And I mean, we're into to that right now. You want to ask the question you wrote down earlier or no? You good? Oh, it don't matter. Well, what I did, think Zach's what, asleep. <laughs> he fall, fall asleep over there? I'm he, still here. He, uh, still he's here. had a rough night. He uh, was in a grain bin sweeping out or shoveling out a grain bin before he come here. So he's probably about dead ass tired, I'm guessing. We're getting there. But uh, – just I always hope I'm answering your questions. I've, I'm, I'm no, you're doing awesome. this is great. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. This is good stuff. This is great. Uh, we ask a lot. I don't know. It's just always a hot topic. But what is uh, what's your preferred rifle caliber? Uh, for us, it's a 243, and for various different reasons. Um, nothing against any other calibers out there. Nothing against the if we if we didn't have a 243, it'd probably be a 222250. Um, yep. But primarily the 243, just because we don't like having to look for animals. Yeah. And, yeah. and when we get them on camera, coyotes in Texas aren't worth a nickel. Yeah. You know, it's not, we're not trying to save hides or anything like that. No, we don't like tearing them up or anything like that. But at the end of the day, you know, we shoot a really light, it's a 55 grain ballistic tip. And if you hit them good, you got one little pinhole going in, and usually their body feels like they got run over by a truck with no mm -hmm. fur damage. And it'll usually on camera, it'll anchor them. I mean, it'll face plant them. Because those things are moving. Time. 55, those 55 yeah, oh yeah. grain. They're, they're, well, I think grain. the ones we're running are probably 3,700 foot, maybe 3,800 foot per second, something like Jeez, that. Jeez, that thing is booking it. That's, that's, and, and I'm guessing you, out where you are, you have the ability to shoot a little further. I mean, I know you're hunting at night, but you have the ability to shoot a little further. And I don't know, oh, yeah. maybe you do someday hunting too. I don't know, but... Uh, <laughs> We actually, believe it or not, last we went out last night and uh, guy, we actually just got back from Pennsylvania. We went up and did a red fox show up there, which is something we've kind of been on our bucket list forever. But long story short, he uh, he wanted to come to Texas. He said, you know, I'd love to come down there and try to kill some coyotes and kill some some pigs or something. If you ever, I said, well, if you're ever down, just come down. Well, he came down and he's been here the last couple two days of nights. later. <laughs> I'm here. Uh, yeah. Well, he uh, long story short, 
with the way that we've got our 243 set up, we're kind of backwards from the way a lot of guys, when they go zero, we, we actually zero at 50 yards. And the reason that we do that is because when we're filming, it basically takes all, any kind of guesswork whatsoever about any scope differential or anything like that uh, out of the equation to where the guy that's on the gun, that's our prime filming range from like 50 yards down to 10 yards. That's what gets those really, really high quality shots. So we want to simplify it for the guy that's on the gun. But what that did with that particular caliber and having the scope differential of that Rico on that, on that, the top of that barrel is from zero to about 310 to 315 yards. There's absolutely zero compensation. In other words, I can put it dead nuts on them at 150. I can put it dead nuts on them at, at 10 yards or at 300 yards. And long story short, there's probably going to be some guys calling bullshit on this, but he hit a cow at 380 yards last night with the Rico and that 243, and it just knocked him over stone cold dead. I said, he was like, where do I hold? I said, maybe about an inch or two high. And he freaking let her rip and Kyle falls and then you hear the boom and it just, it smoked him, you know, but that gun That's is awesome. set up. It's, we set it up for filming purposes to kill them close, but with it being that Rico sits about yay high, about two inches high over the top of the barrel. So there's about a two to two and a half inch scope differential. So at 150, we're about this high, but on a coyote, when you hit them that much high in the side or in the front, it's not like it's going to make that much difference most of the time, right. but it really takes a lot of the guesswork out hmm. for us. Um, and with that, with that particular caliber moving, like it has, it's got the shock it needs to just, mm -hmm. I mean, they yeah. don't have any choice, but to crumple if you hit them good. That's what you know? James said about the 22 250. He's like, it's that, it's Speed that of shock. The... That's just, it's that, well, he <laughs> trauma. Said... It just, that initial just, buzz and mm -hmm. it just paralyzes them that's what Heath you know, was saying yeah. too when we had him on last yeah it's, it's the the shock value shock on both yeah. of them you know a lot of talking about shooting the 55 grains and pumping them yeah upper threes yeah yeah the thing a lot of guys i think the big mistake a bunch of guys will make is whenever they go and they start looking at different different uh weights and stuff like bullet weights is if if you go if you ever start shooting coyotes and you start and you start seeing the ground blow up behind them and, and all your rounds are blowing through them, that's how you'll get a coyote to run and do circles and start tail chasing and running off 100 yards, and you got to go find them later. And for us, we want that bullet to go in and expand and like that, basically expend all its energy inside the animal versus into the ground behind them. Dear you know, and the Lord. heavier the bullet, the heavier the bullet, the more, the, the more that that's likely to happen. And shooting them more further back, like behind their shoulder instead of in it, the more likely that's that's bound to happen. Yeah. So that's why we shoot those lighter bullets going pretty damn fast. Makes so, sense. My apologies for uh, the unprofessionalism just now. My dog just ripped ass right Dude, it here. it smells so terrible. <laughs> oh, <here. laughs> it just smells so horrible. It smells so bad. Oh, it's nasty. I know why I put you up before we record. Gosh. I let him stay out one time and he oh, shits his pants in front of us. But, yeah, uh... Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting to know because there's so many, like, you hear all the different arguments for every different caliber, you know, with right. with uh, coyotes. And, of course, we're, you know, we're trying to, like, fine-tune our setups and what we want to do. And you feel like you want to just go buy every caliber out there and right. try it. So, you know, for us, 
for us, we, uh, I, I've seen a lot of guys depending upon the, the caliber and stuff that they shoot. There's certain ones that we try to stay away from as far as just certain types of rounds. One of them in particular, a lot of, you know, I know James and them like a V max, mm-hmm. but they're shooting it out of a 250 and not a 243. And we, uh, back when we were with carnivore, they Hornady was one of the sponsors. Well, they sent us a bunch of 243 V max. I think it was a 58 grain. Mm-hmm. I bet we hit, 50 coyotes with them and out of the 50 we hit there might have been one or one or two of them that didn't have a grapefruit size hole in them we just had horrible experiences with the 243 now i've got a buddy that shoots a two a 250 and it smokes them and there's just like the same performance we're getting out of our 243 with the rounds that we're shooting they he's seeing the same thing so whatever the difference is between those two calibers in that same bullet like a 223 VMAX or a 22250 VMAX is killer. But you go to the 243, yeah, it'll kill them graveyard dead, but you'll have a basketball size hole in the back of them. Half yeah, of pill's them. not working so we just, anything. We, yeah. It, even, yeah. Even though we're not planning on selling them, we still don't like it being like a grenade went off when you hit them on camera. You right. know, we like them to stay in one piece, you know, most of the times when we hit them, hmm. you know. So we've, for us, with the with the barrels and stuff that we're we're running for us that 55 grain running at about 37 to 3800 foot that's that's been our in a ballistic tip that's that's been our go-to nice round nice so, yeah that's just i mean it's especially with guys you know who do like what you do and what james do we're it, it's just interesting to to ask that question because we uh well we've gotten three different answers really we've gotten six creed more 22250 and two, four, three. Yeah, and it's it's for like what is your application? Like up where James is hunting, they sell they sell those pelts. I mean those those South Dakota coyotes are pretty, mm-hmm. and so they want to save as much as they can, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and what did he say? Like their furthest shot is some usually four hundred and in because they want the good footage. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you know you're not worried about reaching out and touching them at seven hundred yards necessarily. Right. Um, yeah, Heath, like the if six shooting, feet. If, if I'm shooting coyotes at 700 yards, and I'm not getting any video. <laughs> right, right, yeah. So, so we, we try to get them as close as possible, but from a caliber standpoint, for me, if a guy's just looking at a caliber to buy, I would suggest whatever the flattest shooting round they can possibly find, for one. Because you are, if you're especially if you're day hunting in open areas, you're going to have a lot of 200 to 300-yard shots a lot of times, mm-hmm. you know. And setting it up to where you can kill those animals and know where your guns are at at those at those ranges, but mainly is making sure that you don't go too heavy on your on your bullet. You know, if you start shooting coyotes with a hundred grain bullets, it's going to blow right through them and they're going to run. Even if you hit them good half the time, there's a lot of times where that thing's going to go right through them and you're going to have an exit wound and they're going to run fifty to hundred yards on you. And yeah. we just for filming, we can't. We take based on what we actually experience and can verify through <laughs> hitting multiple coyotes over and over and over. What does it do on camera? And the round that we found that's the most effective with the least damage is that 55 to 43. Nice. Um, we shot a Grendel for a while. We shot a 6.5 Grendel with like 110 grains. Uh, for and I love it for pigs, but I've never, I've never really liked it as much as a 243 just for the range and we had a lot of we had a whole year where we shot a bunch of them and it all boiled down the fact that bullets were just too heavy you know every single one of them you can watch you can go back and watch the footage you can see the dirt flat behind them and usually with our 243 it's just 
animal gets shot and it's flat like a pancake and that's what we're looking for you know so nothing against the round if you're a six five grindle guy i I just picked one up i don't know a few months ago or whatnot and i i haven't had haven't even had the chance to shoot it at a coyote yet but i mean sorry about that no yeah (laughs) he stole my kill kill (laughs) but anyways you know so i'm curious i mean you know, eventually, you know, the plan is to have all sorts of calibers at some point. So, yeah. But I did pick up a Grindle. Mainly, I mainly got it for, it's something that my daughter and kids will be able to shoot and, you know, shoot oh, yeah. deer with if need be. So, you know, but I was going to try for coyotes. There's, yeah. There's a lot of guys are saying, well, 243 is a crap round for coyotes. Well, you know, everybody's got their own opinion and we've just based ours on, you know, hitting enough of them at night, even when you hit them bad, we don't like chasing them in the dark. You yeah. know, if we, if we, even if we shoot them midway back, most of the times it'll dump them enough on camera to where they're not sitting there biting and chasing mm-hmm. guts halfway across the pasture. I mean, that's, that's not really beneficial for what we're after. Yeah. Right? One thing I'm going to cool. definitely try, James uh, said last week is when we asked him this question, uh, 223, he uses a 50 grain, v max with a uh, right. boat, boat tail is that yeah, 50, yeah yeah 50 green boat tail and i'm i'm getting close to low on my stash that i think the next purchase i might try those out and see i've had a few that probably was the shot more than anything that did mm-hmm. do some i guess you'd call it running uh they still died right. but you know i didn't like it so i'm curious if uh what a 50 grain you know, it's just weird. You know, your brain goes, oh, you're going from 55 to 50. You think you're losing power, but that's not necessarily the case. It's not. I mean, the the, the shock that, that those animals get when they get hit with a bullet going that fast is it's unmeasurable if you think about it from their perspective. So it'd be like you basically taking the brunt of, of that bullet and keeping that. You're basically catching a bullet versus having it blow through you mm-hmm. and hit the ground because all that energy is going into the dirt instead of where you really want it, you yeah. know, at that point. So the, the only downside that you have to, to, to shooting a super fast caliber like that is, is you'll have every now and then you'll have a splash. I don't know if you guys know yeah. what that is, but basically where it expands on the outside of them, mm-hmm. that happens on our, on our rounds, probably about one out of every 20 coyotes we hit. It'll, but it, the thing is, it'll still, it puts in them enough pain where it'll, it'll usually dump them on camera, right. even when it does that. But typically when you see that, you'll see like a patch of fur missing on the outside and it'll have like a cavity, like it was almost in far enough to expand, but it did it on the outside because it was, you know, it was going so fast. Yeah. But other than that, that's, do you guys ever for, miss for with... the most part that, that, What's that? You ever mess with like a, a two hundred four? I'm a big fan of the two hundred four round. You ever mess mess with that? I have. I haven't personally. I know uh, a lot of guys that, that have shot that round for fur and said it's a really great round for you know if you're trying to really keep furs nice and and whatnot. Um, but I I don't have enough knowledge about it to be able to be able that, to, to tell you much about it. I think it's moving like but, at forty one hundred feet per second with a thirty two grain. I don't know. I've shot them out to about 280, 300 with it and then just dumped them right on it. But yeah, I mean, it's going fast and it's light. Mm-hmm. So it makes, it has that shock factor. Right. But you would, you would think I know it would it's have not that. as effective 
farther you get and it's a lighter bullet so i think anything past like 300 wind starts playing yeah, a, a you pretty probably big got factor. pretty good wind drift on that yeah you know that's the thing whenever when guys are asking about calibers and whatnot it, when you start trying different ones the thing that i try to explain to them is 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 if if you know you hit them right and most guys if you do enough research and hit enough coyotes you'll figure out where the right where the stop button's at you know and, <laughs> and if, if you hit them in the right spot and you go up to them and they're and they're literally their body cavity feels like it's a bag of mush or jello with no exit that's the bullet you need to be shooting because those are the ones that that that, that animal it took the brunt of that round yeah and if you go up to every single coyote and you hit them right and every one of them's got an exit going out the back to me that's too heavy you start dialing it back until you get that happy medium where you can keep it in them every time because that's what you're if you want them to hit hit the dirt right where they stand when you shoot them that's what you got to do to be able to do that consistently over and over and over again unless you just if you don't really care if you want to hit them and have them run off 40 50 yards and go pick them up so be it you know but we, we like the ones that'll dump them you know absolutely yeah so. i'd rather not wonder if they're gonna get away you know type of deal so yeah. cool man well we really appreciate your time tonight. I mean, I, I, I think the listener is going to learn a lot about the positives um, when it comes to hunting with lights. I mean, and that's that's a great option. We we are not in any circles that people hunt with them. So, mm-hmm. you know, this, is, this was a lot of new information with us tonight because for whatever reason, we all just decided to go spend lots of money and started with thermals, but now it makes us think, well, hell, maybe <laughs> yeah, we should now, start running lights. Yeah, with I think we need. Setup, I you know? think we need to go out there with the light now. Well, I, I never try. would have thought about you, t- you talked about like the dimming factor of kind of gradually getting that bright light. Yeah, yeah. my first instinct would have just been, bam, hit it with it. Boom. Yeah. yeah, and the way he explained, uh, like the light. I mean, the way I envision what you're talking about is that light acts as a curtain for everybody that's behind it, so that you can exactly. you can move around. You exactly, can, what it they is. don't know you're there, and that that makes a lot of sense, you know. Because last night well, we went hunting more than just last night, but last night we talked about getting skylined, and mm-hmm. oh, we need to get next to these trees because you have to you have to then account for them seeing you because right. you're in the dark. You know, so I, I mean, that, that makes I, the way I sense. explain it to people, yeah, I explain it to people that that light is all the camo you'll ever need at night. Yeah. And when when I've, I've even said that you could get away with calling them up from a big, bright yellow school bus if you put enough light in their face, you know, and, and the, the whole premise behind having that light is to basically take that one sense away from them that you can't with thermal unless you have a light. You know, thermal is a great tool to be able to to kill stuff without having to put that light on them. But the flip side of that is that light gives you an advantage with the right coyotes, as long as they're not educated. There's some guys that'll go out and they'll take a light and they'll say, well, Chris told me to go out and shine a light. And I, I hit a coyote with a light and he went to the next county when he first saw it. You know, you got to have the right animals first. <clears throat> right. You know, if you go out and you, if you're hunting places where, you know, guys are are hunting them and, and guys driving up and down the back roads, maybe shining or whatever, those coyotes aren't stupid and they can get conditioned. But if you're dealing with ones that haven't seen it and you're hunting in primarily a little bit tighter areas, that's another thing I'll, I'll tell you just in a second. But when you've got areas that are less than, say, 200 to 300 yards, 
that's where a light really does its best. If you're in big, huge, giant openings, lights can be counterproductive because the thermal can pick them up just as fast a lot of times or faster than the light guy. But it, it the tighter the area, the less time that animal has to think about that light. Because what a light really does, whenever you're calling, and that animal hears that sound, that, that sound is the distraction. You've triggered that animal's instinct to go to that sound and that light is not even a factor. Well, when you give them ample time to go and you know, you've got 800 yards between you and a cow and he's sitting there looking at a light the whole time, that cow has a lot more time to sit there and think about that light. I wonder, that's not right. Something's not right about that. Right. But if they're in, if they're in smaller openings, a you can pick them up faster with the light, and b they're usually in a in an obtainable. They're within shooting distance to be able to to manage them more so than in big giant areas. That to me, where thermal really shines solely by itself is when you're in bigger openings than than with the light. If that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It does make sense. Yeah. yeah. I would say that's, I mean, most of our areas around here are, are you're going to have that within 300 yards. We do have some decently large openings yeah. too, but you know, it's just, it's kind of a mix where we are, but yeah. Um, Chris, Con we really y'all are new. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Consider, considering and I'll shut up. Consider Missouri is a, <laughs> it's a new, y'all are, y'all are basically infants in the night hunting. Oh, absolutely. See, we are we're little babies. Really little if babies. If you only those knew. Coyotes there, <laughs> those, yeah. Those, those coyotes in, in Missouri should be a bunch of virgins when it comes to lights. Unless you have a bunch of poaching and guys out running around spotlighting and stuff like that. If I were going to Missouri, I would love to see how an animal would react to a light. Because if we can get away with it here, basically the biggest night hunting state in the country, then... I would love to see what a place that hasn't seen that those coyotes shouldn't have been near the pressure than what we get around here. You might be surprised, go out there and shine a light and you have a cow try to tackle the call. Sounds like you just That's need to come find out. Right next to you <laughs> yeah. Come on up, bud. Sounds like you need teach to make a trip up here and show us. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. But at any rate, yeah, that's my two cents on the subject. Yeah. Awesome, man. Uh, yeah, that's, I, like I said, I mean, and that's what we kind of thought is our first two years, I, you know, the coyotes, as this continues and as we have it move on, they're going to get smarter. I'm assuming to people are trying to kill us at nighttime. Now I've noticed, you know, and they, they start figuring that out right. and then you educate a dog on some stands and that dog makes it to next year and you know, all that stuff. So I'm sure it's going to start getting harder and harder, um, no matter what we do over the next couple of years, but it's, uh, it's been fun for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, seeing some crap at you night that we would have never seen during the day. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. One thing you will, will do. And just to, uh, just to give you a heads up, you will educate, you can and will educate coyotes faster with the light than you can just thermal. That makes why sense. is that? Because, because they know it's, they know it's something that, they, Unless they see you when you're standing out there, if they if if you take that visual side of that, when you hit them with that light and you shoot at them and miss them, or they you hit them with that light and they they are looking at that light and they get downwind of you and they smell you, that that part of associating that light with danger is the is the education that they don't get with thermal because they don't have that visual 
of that light when you're just running just thermal in the dark. That is one disadvantage of a light. Yeah. So it has its pros and cons. You just have to know when and what scenarios you really need to use both or one or the other, you know? That's cool. So, that makes sense. Well, before we hop off with you, um, why don't you give our listener uh, information on how they can watch your show, uh, both on you know your uh, actual TV show and then on um, YouTube, and how they can see you on uh, whatever social media you choose to use. Um, sure. And, uh, um, we uh, we actually on Sportsman's Channel. We we run on Sportsman's Channel in the first and second quarter, and uh, it airs at six thirty on Monday nights, uh, Central Standard Time. And uh, it's just called Night Crew. You can just get on if you've got Dish or Direct TV or something like that. Just go on, go on the guide and look for Night Crew at 6.30 on Monday nights between January through the end of June. And uh, if you can't catch it there, you don't have Sportsman's Channel, just go to YouTube and search Night Crew, and it'll pull it, it'll pull it right up. Some of the most beautiful as, stuff. As of now, seen. we've got season – yeah, we've got season one through five already up on our YouTube channel, and we're slowly starting to add season six – yeah, uh, as we as they come. So. I heard you explain to James on your show with him how that worked on getting those seasons on YouTube. Uh, you couldn't put them on like right away. You had to wait like six months or a year, and then you could right. upload them to YouTube too. So that was kind of interesting to hear that. But oh, and if people haven't heard this one, I would go to um, O'Neill Ops podcast, and I think it's episode twenty. They did a show with Chris. And uh, y'all kind of got into some of the stuff we talked about tonight, but then also the, uh, oh, what do you, the industry, I guess you'd call it, and, uh, right. you know, how it works. And it's a it's a really good show, and um, I would highly suggest people go listen to that one with Chris, too, and um, check them out. But uh, we really appreciate your time. I think it's some great information for people who maybe are wanting to get into night hunting but can't go spend even $2,500 on a thermal and this is an option that they should really consider. And it's not a bad idea. And I, you know, it seems like a really great idea to be honest. It's not, um, not worse than thermal just because it's cheaper. It's an, it's an alternative option. That's not quite as expensive. Um, that's an opportunity for guys that can't afford the thermal side of it to at least go try it. You know, yeah. you, you might be surprised how much fun you'd have. Uh, going out with a with a headlamp and a killing light and killing the crap out of them. Yeah, that'd be. But I appreciate cool. you guys having having me on, and hopefully that whatever little information I could have passed on y'all's way, maybe it'll help a few guys. Yeah, you know? oh, definitely. Sure. Yep. All right, Chris. Well, we'll take it easy. I appreciate it. Y'all have a good one. So I'm gonna go and I'm gonna buy us a light. <laughs> Why is that funny? It's just funny. This is take two, and you said the exact same thing, so I'm, I'm enjoying this. Well, well, it was going really somebody, good until you hit pause. Yeah, somebody, somebody got a little little upset and hit pause because we're yeah. picking on him a little bit there. Yeah, yeah. So we had to go take two this time. Andy, yeah. Andy's been being butt hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. No, but you guys got thermals. I'm going to buy a light. We're going to try that method out. I think it's going to work. I think it's going to work a lot better than the way we're doing it now. I thought it was interesting. He said, some, I mean, you know, his guys, he's good at it, obviously. Yeah. But he can pick them up quicker, which I do understand. That a makes little a bit. lot of sense. It makes with the light because he can move it faster to yeah. where you're. Yeah. Oh, you're well, looking. You're, you're looking. You're, you have your full field of view. Yeah, you're not looking to where a, a thermal. You only have what thirty yeah. millimeters or whatever the objective. And you're only looking for a flash, right? Yeah. For eyes. Although I, I forgot to ask him, <laughs> I wonder how many times they're like see raccoon eyes. Oh. 
And oh, you're like, I'm oh, sure. damn it, that's a raccoon. Keep I'm going. Sure it and then you have to remember when you come back, there's a raccoon right there and not stop every damn time. But, uh, uh, raccoon, keep going. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, that I, just. I asked um, him. I meant to ask him that. Because, like, where, where we're deer, at, there's coons know, all over the place. Yeah. I mean, we do got a lot of raccoons. We need to start popping those things. They've got a season, though, don't they? Yep. Yeah, seasons are. are. What is their season, though? I need to find that out. I would think that the season would be quite large for raccoons. I don't think it is. Really? It's not very long. Are you kidding me? No. No. With as many as we got. That's, we why, they're the, that's why they're a problem. It's, well, basically, it's basically the same as trapping season, if I'm not mistaken. Like, it runs the same. Really? And their pelts aren't worth anything anymore, so no one's trapping anymore. Right. So Jeez, well, NDC. You want to help the turkeys open up the raccoon population, you know, the raccoon. Raccoon season. Season. Make it where we can just shoot those things on site. And but truthfully, I mean, they need to open up longer than just, you know, the short time. You were speaking generalities. I don't know the exact dates it's open, but I know it's not like a six-month period. You're talking a month or two. You talk about, yeah, I mean, obviously I could just tell you right now with my MDC app. But I'm, I know it's not on. I know they're not in season currently. Yeah. Well, the only thing in season right now is what? Coyotes? Basically. Pretty much. And isn't that there that weird thing? There's a few days in there. For like two weeks in March? Or is well, it no, April? It's got to be April. April where you can't hunt coyotes during the day. Yeah. But you, That's you, a you, really you can, shady, you can them, weird thing. You can hunt them at night. But with moonlight. With moonlight. Because all of your artificial and light also, if you look And also, if you look at the season dates, it, it says basically January 1st through December 31. So it's but, really misleading. Yeah, right? you got to get the book or actually... I think you got to click into it. Yeah, cl- on the app, you got to click on it, and it says you can't hunt during the daylight hours. Raccoons. Hunting and trapping. November 15th through January 31st. So two months. Two, two months. See, but that's just trapping. Hunting and trapping. Hunting and trapping. I didn't hear the hunting yeah. part. Yeah. So it's only two and a half months long. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Jeez, no wonder there's a million of them. No kid, get on that end. And nobody really. And who well, do you know? Yeah. Who do you know that hunts raccoons? There's a couple of people, but I don't know anybody. Yeah, I know, I know some trappers, obviously. Yeah, I know. I know Ethan. Most of them run with dogs. Yeah. I mean, hound hunters. I say I know some trappers. I know a trapper. Yeah. What's up, Ethan? Ethan? I know one guy. <laughs> yeah, I know a guy. <laughs> but you know, I don't know how much he tra- traps raccoons. I, I don't mean, think that's what he's going for. No. Most yeah. Of the time. Well, they're most, not worth. I said not worth right. anything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was a great show, by the way. Have we even oh. talked about that yet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've covered it. So, no, that was a really good show. A lot of good information in that one. Uh, mm-hmm. So, go buy a light from somewhere and go kill some coyotes. No, I I learned a lot on it. Yeah. Oh, and this is after the fact. But I, will, I will say this about night hunting. You sure do like to cut over people. You know that? <laughs> like, I was seriously talking. You are talking. the world's worst cutter overer. No, I was hey, talking. Hey guys, got, it, it's called interrupting. Whatever. He's the one who said cut over. <laughs> just want to clarify. I'm just saying, I was I, in the I middle was, of a sentence. No, you, you had just come started. In here, you I, know what? <laughs> what I, I got to say I, is I better. I just wanted to finish the, the the thought that we were on before you moved into something else. Okay. What's your thought? What, what's the finishing I thought? will say, regarding night hunting, though, even with lights, after going with some folks one way and the other... I really think you should be suppressed. Probably. Agree, disagree. Oh, it changed the way I hunt, for sure. Yeah, it 
I I went with uh, some folks, and people weren't suppressed. And after it was all over, I was like, I feel uneasy now. You know, like it was loud. Everybody knew it happened. Like anybody who was awake heard mm-hmm. it. You know, was suppressed. It's just you make less of a footprint at night. And not that you're doing anything wrong. Yeah. You're not doing anything thing illegally, but you know, you don't want to cause anything. Yeah. So you don't want to deal with that. You don't want to deal with stuff. Yeah, and I, I feel like off. it's a it'd be a really good. good idea to be suppressed. I I agree. Yeah, I agree. Okay, yeah. now go into your thing. F that. I'm done. Let's go. Do it. No, I'm done. No, I'm gonna sit here because we're still waiting on the dad joke. Just FYI, dude, you done ruined it. He we does already it every talk, time. We already talked every about time this. he does it. Quit bringing up the damn dad. Okay, joke. well then just go let into it your, come in natural. Go into your and point. then we'll go into that. I was just going to say, after the fact, we might get to see some of y'all because we'll be up at the Iowa Deer Classic this weekend. Yeah, that's right. So, Of course, you know, by the time they hear this, that exactly. will be over. That's what I was saying. <laughs> so that's why you don't want to say it now? Well, I done said it, did I? <laughs> All right. Hey, it's late. Uh, it's 1045. Jeez. I'm tired. And Andy and I didn't sleep at all last night. Sounds like you didn't either. No, I didn't. All because you drank some caffeine right before bed. I could drink caffeine, and I was pissed off because I wasn't hunting, and then, you know, just shit happens. So I hit your sister, went to bed. <laughs> no. No, I did not. I got to get up more and walk five miles, so let's get after this. All right. We got to walk five miles? Yeah. Why? What? Well, I told my wife I would start exercising, but instead my daughter wanted a new dog, so I just named the dog Five Mile. So every morning I get up and walk five miles. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Not bad. Not bad. I'll give you an A for effort on that no, one. Yeah. I did. Uh, yeah. I like you, how you, you worked it in there real good. I let. Dude, that, I had I a way. Him. I had a way better work in, but it's like, well, what is the dad? I joke? know. I Here know. we go again. I let, at least I Jesus. let him work it in this time. So then I had to figure out a new way to work it in, and it's just not as smooth because everyone's just yeah. I, I thought Moral you did great. Story I thought you did you great. Ruin everything. <laughs> hey, I, I try. Just because he's short. I try my best. I try my best. All right, guys. Till next time. See ya. See ya.